It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman, along with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein for Historic Podcast number 72. And look at this. The gang is all back together. Yay. Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Want to welcome Randy. Brian Whitman and the great Randy Wang back in the production chair. Now, I know you're both wondering if I'm back on the show and you look how much weight I've gained. I'm not pregnant, so I don't need your services right now. No, you, you look great. I love your hair. Thank you. And I've missed you. I've missed you. It's been a while. Miss yes. y'all, too. You had other projects. You were off doing stuff, and we're happy to have you back. Let me yeah. say, uh, we've dabbled in other studio engineers. None of them come close to the pod father, Randy Wang, and you. the expertise you have in this podcast and others is unrivaled. We are certainly happy to have you here. Yeah, and we're, in, and we're in New Digs in beautiful downtown Burbank. Yeah, because Randy Wang changed his residence, and we're right here in this. We're in a home. Yes. This is an actual house. You're not just in my bedroom. Dude, how'd you get into a home? I got a girlfriend. All right, <laughs> and you split costs. Yes. And there's a, uh, there's a roommate, too. Yeah, we got a roommate, we got a dog, we got we got three dogs, we got two cats, and we got three people. It's like it's a lovely home. It's like modern family. Sure. Okay, so we're right back into it. I want to tell folks to subscribe on iTunes to Dr. Stu's podcast because you'll never miss an episode of Dr. Stu's podcast if you subscribe on iTunes. If you continue to check the website, Dr. Stu's podcast, you'll see blogs, you'll see pictures, you'll see all of it right there in the margin of the website, and you won't miss a thing. And we know we have chronic Dr. Stu fans and followers of the podcast who don't want to miss anything that comes from the mind of Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I, Brian Whitman, and here as sort of a facilitator to help take the gold nuggets from your mind, Dr. Stu, and get them out on the podcast. Podcast number 72, 1972, the year I was born. So this is special to me. Yeah, we don't want to have, uh, you know, my mind eventually is going to get... Uh mind out sort of like some of the streams here in, in California. But I, I have to tell you that that uh, life is good here, Brian, in Southern California. Wouldn't you say it's it's fe- Friday the 13th. It's February 13th. We're recording on an off day for us, but we were making up the day. Yep. It is February and it is 88 degrees outside. <laughs> and I was talking to my dad yesterday. Uh, my dad, is, who's actually coming out here next week, he's 95 years old. He's going to come out and visit. He's in Minnesota he's right He's in now. Minnesota. And I told him, Dad, it's 85 degrees here. And he says, yeah, it's 10 here. <laughs> so it's a 75-degree difference between uh, L.A. and Minneapolis. We and- love Southern California. If you noticed the brand-new theme song, we had Thor for some 70 podcasts. We have now shifted to the Cornfield <laughs> Chase from the Interstellar soundtrack. Yes, we so- talked about that last time. And it, for me, you know, I, just, I sort of just love the movie. I love the father-daughter aspect of the movie. I love the science fiction part of the movie. Before we get into the personal life of Dr. Sue, which has changed, my personal life has changed a bit. Randy's has changed a bit. We heard a bit about that. We're talking that. personal lives today? Uh, so, well, I, that wasn't on the agenda today. That'll be later, but personal lives is what people tune in for time and time again. I want to talk about medicine because on my morning show on AM870, The Answer, KRLA, right here in Los Angeles and Orange County, all across Southern California, the Inland Empire. It's and- my favorite drive show. That's all sure. across the globe. Thank you for that. We have great ratings. I even make ratings bonuses. So yeah, thank Brian you. and I sometimes text back and forth while he's on the show. Right? Uh, a hot topic has become whether it's the Morning Answer Radio Show or other radio shows or the View vaccines and politicized science 
uh, for newborns is front and center. Dr. Stu, you're, you, you have spoken in the past on vaccines. For those who might just be joining us, and we have listeners to Dr. Stu's podcast who join us uh, every time for a brand new episode, and they'll be happy to know there's 71 episodes before this to catch up on. Let's give a Reader's Digest version on the controversy, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, associated with vaccines for newborn infants. Okay. We've talked about this on a previous podcast, and I'm just going to recap for just for a second. I'm I'm an obstetrician. Uh, I get asked questions about vaccines, but I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not somebody who gives vaccines or uh, uh, other than sometimes an adult will need a vaccine if they're going to travel or they need a tetanus shot, that sort of thing, or rubella shot. But I am uh, a believer that vaccines do the human uh, race much good. And they've actually saved millions and millions of lives. There is controversy, however, about whether vaccines are completely safe. And of course, nothing in life is completely safe. When did the controversy present itself? Because well, uh, here's here's the point. Uh, the, the, there was a great article by Daniel Henninger, who's a really good writer for the Wall Street Journal. I think it was yesterday uh, on the online version of the Wall Street Journal, where he talks about the why is why is there such controversy about this? Why does somebody like Jenny McCarthy who he says is a you know no no offense to Jenny but she he says she's a third tier actress why does she have such pull with the american public why are the american public so eager to believe her and his theory is is because oh go ahead brian well for starters she has a very large platform uh before this on the view to reach literally millions of primarily females who might be new parents so that helps yeah and her big thing is whether uh uh vaccines cause autism or not and there's there are some good studies that show that that's probably there is probably not a link between vaccines and autism uh, that can be proven. However, the reason that uh, Mr. Henninger thinks that this is such a, a, a hot issue is because science is no longer reliable anymore because they have burned their own bridges because science scientists become ideologues, whether it's, whether it's what we talk about here on the show a lot, which is uh, you know the anti-home birthing or the anti-midwife stuff or the anti-breach stuff, which science doesn't support or whether it's the global warming stuff which has changed to climate change because the you know the global warming isn't or the globe isn't warming and people there's a lot of credibility that you know you got to watch out for this flu bug and then then you know they make big alarmist uh, statements about it and then nothing happens uh, they've got mad cow disease and everybody gets all alarmed about not eating beef and nothing happens in my and reading, so credibility sure. so credibility Brian is lost and so people are, are, are much more hesitant to believe when, when somebody with academic credentials comes out and says vaccines are good for you. The, the, you know, how do we know? How do we know anymore? Because science is corrupted by dollars and, idea, and ideology. In my reading about this, I, wa- I have wondered uh, inside and aloud, how did we get to the point in America and internationally when we'd begin to even consider that vaccines for babies are bad for them? What is it about the vaccine, about the injection, that moms and dads and couples might understand is bad for their newborn, Dr. Stone? Well, again, it's the, I think think there's a fear that the vaccines can sometimes cause more harm than good i mean brian there's a lot of ways to think about this i think that 
What's interesting is my friend, and, and he's been on our show, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Love him. Is trying to, uh, um, he does his own podcast, and he's been trying to get a pro-vaccine pediatrician to come on his podcast and speak about the, the pros of vaccines. He can't find one willing to come on the air and talk about it uh, when, when he brings on somebody who is sort of backing off from vaccines, uh, uh, Dr. Jay Gordon, who's another pediatrician, who is not so pro-vaccine. And- Dr. Stu, there might be reason for that because I ask you, what is it about the vaccine? What is it in the vaccine that is so potentially negative that it would warrant this hullabaloo? Well, but Brian, first of all, if you're pro-vaccine, you should be able to defend your position. And, and you know, these guys, some of these pediatricians have even gotten to the radical point of saying, if you're not vaccinated, I won't see you in my office. And there are people that support that position, and I personally think that that's a, that's a questionable position to take because uh, as a pediatrician, you're supposed to be taking care of everybody. And you're saying now, well, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come to my office. Or you know, how, what, what step away from that is it saying if, you're, you know, if you don't have the right social economic class, you can't come to my office. But doesn't that protect the other patients? I mean, if I'm a pediatrician, I've got, I don't want a kid coming in with measles and infecting all the other kids who don't or, have, who haven't or, gotten vaccinated. Randy yet. Wang, if you're a dad with a one-year-old sitting in the waiting room, you're nervous about the decision made by the parent who was in to see Dr. Stu moments before you. Yeah, but that's true about any illness. When you go to a pediatrician's office, unless they have a, a sick room, for kids coming in with sniffles and colds like that, anytime you go to the pediatrician's office, your kid could catch, a, you know, a flu or a cold. So you're saying don't go to the pediatrician? No, I'm saying pediatricians need to either have a sick room or maybe have a day where they, where the half a day a week where they see unvaccinated kids or do something uh, to more accommodate people that don't want to have a vaccine. So I'm going to get to your question because I know is what is the fear? Well, the fear is what Jenny McCarthy fears is that is that vaccines given the way they're given in this country may have a higher rate of autism or may cause uh, damage to kids. And and again, I, I, I have a million is, mixed feelings. Because, is that true? Well, science would say that there is some science to say that it's true. Most science would say it's not true. But then that's true of anything. You get three people in a room and you get three different opinions. And truth is is how we, you know, what is the truth? It's whatever we choose to believe. That's and correct. We can choose to ignore certain pieces of evidence, as happens all the time with things like breach delivery, and uh, we we cherry pick our or we cherry pick the evidence we wish to believe. It's like watching uh, the morning news. Monday morning, chocolate is good for you. Tuesday morning, chocolate is bad for you. I'm only going to really pay attention to the Monday study. Yeah. So Randy, Randy's got. And listen, when I was when I was a kid, I mean, people are people are worried that people are going to die from measles. Okay, and that's the big fear and big. You know, has anyone died from measles in this epidemic this year? No. No. All right. Is it and a fatal disease? I think it can actually it be can more be. fatal in adults it, it than it is in be. children. But it's, it's very that- rare to cause problems in children. As you know, in my generation, when we grew up, you know, when somebody got chicken pox or somebody got measles or your brother got measles, we all went in and got exposed to measles because that, that was... It's that eight old adage, Dr. Stu and Randy Wang, our producer, uh, people typically believe 
what they want to believe. And in my experience, when my mom uh, took my brother and me to see Dr. Hyman, when I was a seven-year-old, Dr. Basil Hyman on Staten Island, what we thought or what we kind of considered was thrown out the window and facts, F-A-C-T-S, were presented to us by Dr. Hyman or his associate, Dr. Dracatis. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you, Brian, that the science back then was probably much worse than it is now, but the trust back then was about 99.9%. I thought he was God. People trusted their physician then. The The ability to trust our, our uh, leaders... I mean, look at look at from Washington on down. Does anybody trust anybody in authority now to be honest with them? We find so much dishonesty, both in science and in politics and in the legal aspect in the sporting world. We find people that are cheating. You know, I mean, we're you know, we're a big thing about the New England Patriots. We can't even trust our journalists. We can't trust our journalists. I mean, because you know, it, yeah. I mean, look at look at the whole the whole thing with NBC News. And if if Norman, I like your opinion on that. By if, the way, in a minute, uh, okay, we will. If Norman Schwarzkopf came into my examination room and said, "Whitman, your baby boy needs the vaccine," I would say, "Storm and Norman, shoot him up." That's what I would say too, because I trust him. Yeah, because he has credibility. Okay, that's why you tr- that's why you trust him. It, but let me what ask you happened, this. But let me what ask- happened? Important, <laughs> important. And we have a podcast, so we can go long form. What happened, Doctor Stuart Fishbein, along the line to compromise the credibility between the doctor and the patient? The same thing that compromised the credibility of the evening news or or of politicians. It's corrupted by either economics. Or ideology. I don't I, buy that. I oh, can, you, come I, on, Brian. You have to buy that. I mean, you sit there with you with Ben and Alicia every day, and and you hear the difference in in uh, the, all the stories about all the crap that goes on, and and how do you trust anything that comes out of I, any I, of these places? I think there's some truth to it, but in fairness, Doctor Stu, let's do an inventory. Isn't doesn't some of it have to do with the higher premiums? Doesn't some of it have to do with the paying through the nose that people are paying for their medical services? The, the distrust. What you mean? The distrust. What are you talking? What are you saying? No, that w- w- people are paying. I am paying through the nose yes. for medical expertise. And well, you're paying through the nose for insurance. Right. Right. Which I doesn't guarantee you medical expertise, which I liken (laughs) to my doctor. And and uh, uh, so what I'm saying to you is uh, the bad blood between the patient and the doctor, unless it's a textbook, Dr. Fishbein patient, Marcus Welby patient uh, scenario, which you have going for you in 2015 and God bless you for it. Unless it's that I see a lot of opportunities for there to be a schism between the once trusted doctor, the once trusted physician, and the patient. Well, I would like to point out, Brian, that it may not be the physician that you should distrust. I mean, in certain cases, certainly, when I hear stories from women who were uh, pushed into induction or something for, for, for no reason, I would distrust those people. But I think sometimes physicians are stuck between a rock and a hard place of what to rely on. Do they have to rely on, I mean, how do they know the scientific information that they're getting is, is, is not trustworthy? And also they have to think about their own liability issues. I mean, the economic forces in medicine right now are so, so damning. They screw up so much of, of 
what 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 your ability to be honest. I mean, when a when a pediatrician says that he believes vaccines are necessary, all right, then he writes in his chart, patient counseled to have vaccines. That way, if for some reason that kid has a problem later on, he can go back and say, look, at, I told her she should have vaccines. This, this podcast will not quit. We are up to podcast number 72. We are back. The band is back together. It's Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian Whitman. Our old pal Randy Wang is hitting the buttons and chiming in. Podcast 72. Make sure you go to the website, drstuspodcast.com. Make sure you go uh, and uh, to iTunes and register for Dr. Stu's podcast so you don't miss a single one. The Wall Street Journal has today right in front of me a very I'm going to read this. I'm going to read the headline and the subheadline. Yes, please. Oh, boy. Okay. here's the headline. Vaccines and politicized medicine. Subheadline. Jenny McCarthy knows the credibility of science is a house of cards. Let's deal, Dr. Stu, with politicized science. Let's deal with the impact. Jenny McCarthy aside, her personality her person, the person Jenny McCarthy aside, uh, the fact that she knows the credibility of science is a house of cards. Question, is the credibility of science a house of cards and who is to blame for that if it's true, Dr. Stu? The credibility of science in 2014 is a house of cards. 2015. Oh my gosh, 2015, that too. <laughs> it has, it's, it's not getting both better. Years. first of all it's not getting better put you're it obviously way. still writing 2014 on your checks I, a lot of times yes right. i am yeah, right yeah, sure. right right and yeah it, it is a it is a house of cards it is impossible for the average consumer in any aspect of what they're doing to know what the real truth is Okay. Sometimes there is no real truth, but sometimes there is. Sometimes things are black and white and not gray. I can't think of a greater crisis that plagues the American people more than uh, the crisis in the medical profession and more specifically in the interaction that good American people and not so good American people are having with their medical personnel, whether it be Dr. Stu Fishbein or the specialist or the nurse. Yeah, it used to be, Brian, that that you only got your medical information from your physician. And your physician got medical information from what was a trusted, peer-reviewed academia and published research. uh, uh, You know, that was the model by which people got their information. With social media, with the internet, with Google, uh, that's all changed. And now, because, you know, you have the publisher-perish aspect of things in academia, it's important for people to put out papers. And sometimes people put out papers because they have to, not because they want to. And it, you have to look at who's financing the research. If Procter & Gamble is financing the research and it comes out that this product is bad, do you think that that paper is going to get published? No, it's not. Dr. Stu, you've been caring for women who are pregnant, women who are not pregnant, for how many years? Well, I've been caring for women who are not pregnant for all 58 of my years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mom, Profession- my sister. <laughs> right, professionally since uh, you're a doctor. Uh, yeah, well, since, uh, medical school started in uh, blah, 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 78. Okay, so we're going over 30 years. Oh, yeah. Given the experience you have, really and truly, and this is probably the single most important part of this podcast, as we read of the, my word, hysteria, 
that is plaguing the medical field between the female, uh, whether it's an OBGYN, the female seeking medical advice about her baby that she's carrying and the mixed signal she's getting from the medical community. Dr. Stu, uh, we have a lot of moms, wannabe moms, listening regularly to Dr. Stu's podcast. We're up to podcast number 72. What would be your, why are you laughing? Because I love the way you stick that in there. Well, I, I'm resetting. Yeah, yeah podcast yeah. 72, right? I'm selling you hard. Wait, which right. podcast is this? 72. What year are we? Uh, we are 2015. Okay. What advice, really and truly, uh, let's be very sober here. What would be your advice to the young woman who is legitimately freaked out by the news she's reading online, in the newspaper, hearing on the radio, or seeing on TV every day. If you take this verbatim, you're a freaked out 30-something young mom, first-time mom. How do you, Dr. Stu, in using this podcast, intervene? What message do you send to that woman to say, hey, relax, or do you send a message that is, hey, don't relax. Okay. You got some homework to On do. On the specific of vaccines, I would tell you that vaccines save lives and that uh, I think a schedule of vaccines that you can come up with with your pediatrician, do they have to necessarily follow the American Academy of Pediatrics guideline? Not necessarily. I sometimes think they overdo it. I certainly, we've talked about this before, I do not believe a newborn baby born to a couple with good prenatal care needs a hepatitis vaccine in the first couple days of life. I think that's crazy. Uh, as far as, you know, things like whooping cough and diphtheria and tetanus and pertussis, well, pertussis is whooping cough. Um, I think those can be serious illnesses. I think that the vaccines have benefits that far outweigh the risks. I think there's a risk with everything you do in life. Uh, the risks of getting vaccines are probably very, very small. The risks of not getting vaccines are probably very, very small. So the question is, which way to go? I think sometimes the hysteria comes. And as we talked about in the last podcast, Brian, we talked about the cases at Disneyland. Right. Whenever you look at something where something happens bad to somebody, you have to look at the denominator. And we're going to get right back to that. You, you, ha you have to look at how many, you know, something happened bad. Okay, but there were a million people there. So it happened one in a million times. Mm -hmm. The, you, you can't look at just the, the case report or the bad thing that happened. You have to look at the whole picture. If I were a young couple right now... But wanting, you can't ignore the bad things that have happened. Well, if you don't ignore some of the bad things that happen in your life, it's going to be very difficult to live. All right? So you're people, saying ignore get, some of them. You have to. You get in the car and drive to work every day. Some people are not coming home. You're going to really think about that every day? You're going to not drive because... Oh, wait, you don't drive. Yeah, you don't drive anyway. <laughs> you're not going to drive with somebody else. You're not going to eat. You're not going to eat certain food because somebody you might get listeria because because a couple people got listeria last year from some cheese product or something. Are you really going to worry about every time you put cheese in your mouth that you're going to get listeria? All right. I have. I I know. I have some clients who actually live with those fears, and it is a terrible burden to bear. You cannot. You cannot go through life worried about every little thing. If I were a parent right now, I would vaccinate my kids. I would probably try to stop. You'd vaccinate the full panel that the that the pediatrician recommends or if I trusted my pediatrician. Yes, I would. But I would also always, you know, I have knowledge in medicine. So, you know, it's it's like do you, I don't have any knowledge. But in if you didn't, then most of our well, I don't have don't. knowledge in auto mechanics. And when I an auto mechanic tells me I need a new two thousand dollar brake job, 
you know, I may actually get a second opinion on that. Are you telling our listeners to generally take the advice of the medical professional that they find themselves in front of when it comes to vaccines? Yeah, they have to be. You have to do it with some scrutiny. You have to consider where they're coming from, and you have to consider that a lot of times doctors do things because they're scared out of their mind, and they and they're confused and they're fearful and they're doing the thing that best covers them uh liability wise and sometimes it's it's i mean there are true believers there's no doubt about it and and this is a deep conversation but where does mom or dad go to legitimize the scrutiny that their gut tells them they feel you know there is no answer to that brian you have to eventually you have to make a parental decision and say okay honey we're going to do this what do you think she says this i say that and say okay we're going to go with it there's no way to know whether or not your particular situation is being motivated by pure altruism or if there is an element of how did dr uh, mr henninger describe it uh scientific um what did he say um yeah, polar, right, politicalization right. of of the science or or confusion of the science right uh yeah, there's no way to really always know that i can only relate it you know i relate it and i bring it back all the time to my specialty OBGYN. and not a week goes by where i don't talk to five ten different women who have been given bad advice under the guise of good advice by physicians, advice that doesn't meet evidence-based standards. That's, that is, even, even the American College of OBGYN admits that two-thirds of the guidelines that they put out for gynecology and obstetrics are not based on science. You're seeing them, Dr. Fishbein, on a follow-up. You're the second physician they're seeing. You're not the one who gave them the first lump of advice. Correct. No, they've, they come to me with an experience they've already had in life where they right. had a C-section. They were induced at 39 weeks because the, the doctor thought they had a big baby. And after three days of induction, they end up with a cesarean section and deliver a seven-pound baby. And they feel terrible about it. And they knew nothing then. And they, and, and they carry that burden with them. They carry a guilt with them all their life because they didn't bother or didn't know enough. And there's nothing they can do about it because you can't go back and... and yell at the physician or sue the physician or do anything like that because the physician can rationalize and justify in his paperwork that what he thought he was doing or she thought he was she was doing was correct you talk about the c-section guilt i got because we're doing a morning answer cruise march 29th uh, our morning crew brian band it's almost sold out from and, what i heard uh, right? almost, yeah you're a good listener we're almost sold out we're doing the mexican riviera cabo mazatlan puerto Vallarta. very excited i had to deal with new york it was pretty easy and go back and get with the original seal my birth certificate the point is this uh i am a c-section when and that was not a big deal at the time when give me a year but it was only there only five to seven percent of people got a c-section when you were when you were delivered in 1972 that's correct so at about what year did people start looking over their shoulder or whispering over the backyard fence and saying oh wow he was a c-section well i'm not sure i'm not sure what do you mean? Like the C-section was maybe unnecessary? Is that what you're saying? Well, that seemed to be the buzz. Yeah, it began after we started with continuous fetal monitoring in 19, in, and we began using the Friedman curve reliably, which meant that women needed to dilate at a certain rate. And the C-section went from 5% in 1970 to about 22% in 1990 to now 32% in 2015 mm. um, without really any significant difference in neonatal outcomes or cerebral palsy or anything like that. So... We've had a 500% increase in the cesarean section rate, not based on anything scientific, and that undermines the credibility of anything that comes out of the obstetric academic world. As far as I'm concerned, being a part of that obstetric world, 
I am very suspicious of almost everything that I read in the journals when it doesn't meet the common sense tests. It's doctors. You know what I mean by that, uh, right? I do. It's doctors. It's it's doctors. Who's podcast number 72. And uh, of course, that's doctors to it. Fishbine. I'm Brian Whitman. Randy Wang is here. The bang. The gang is all back together. Uh, An isolated uh, element component of this headline is uh, two words that you could probably do five hours on. And Wall Street Journal's got it right here, loud and proud. Here's the phrase, politicized science. Right. Politicized science. I would assume the term probably drives you crazy. Well, um, no, it doesn't drive me crazy because I... It, 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 you know, it irritates me, but it doesn't drive me crazy. I've come over my years of evolution in this profession to expect that things are skewed. I mean, I've gotten into um, writing. You know, I would love. See, the thing, what Elliot, what Elliot Berlin wants to do is to get people on the, who have disagree in the same room. The problem, of course, is that you can never get people who sit on their high horse to sit in the same room with someone else who has a different opinion. They vilify the other side. They do, Randy. I think we could achieve that on this podcast. By finding what? By finding... I've tried for three years or two two years now, Brian. I've tried to get an obstetrician to come on who doesn't believe in home birthing or doesn't believe in breach delivery. Nobody will come on and debate me. Nobody. Well, well, we've had Elliot. I like him a lot. I'd like to work harder on getting him... Uh, opposition on getting opposition on this podcast uh, that sees a birthing differently than he does, and I. Well, no, you're talking. Oh, he's talking vaccines, right? That's right. He, that that sees that sees post birth care differently than he does. Yeah, and it's not Elliot. Elliot is actually just the podcast guy. He's like you, Brian. He's the guy that's trying to bring these people together. So it's not Elliot that actually is pro or anti vaccine. He just wants to have the debate on his podcast, which I think it would be very interesting and get a lot of listeners to his podcast. Just like I would love to have the debate with the uh, evil Dr. Amy, a skeptical OB person out there who tends to hate everything midwifery and home birthing. You know, I've offered to debate through with, uh, this woman through a intermediary several times in a live form of her choosing and uh, I've gotten no response because these people, as Randy just said, would rather vilify their opponent than actually debate their opponent. All right. Want to give you some uh, very important information. DrSteucePodcast.com is the domain name. That is the website. You'll never miss a podcast if you mark as a favorite on your computer Dr. Stu's podcast. We're up to podcast 72. And that, of course, is the year of my birth. We like to bring uh, at least, uh, what are we trying to do? A podcast every week? Well, you know, uh, Renee, our, our podcast guru uh, poster uh, web person, right. uh, wants us to have a new podcast up every Wednesday. And the problem is, is that we, you know, you and I have scheduling conflict. We try to get it done in time, but you may have a, a meeting or an event and I may have a birth. So, so, you know, since we're doing this as best we can, yeah. we, we try to have fun. I mean, this was one of our more serious podcasts today. We should, uh, you know, we should, we have to realize we want new listeners to understand that Brian and I usually 
uh, take a more uh, humorous we approach do. to and, a lot of the stuff. And the good news, if you found if if you found the podcast, uh, there's seventy other podcasts to choose from. So just go and uh, drop the needle, as we say in radio, on a few of these other podcasts, and you will hear different looks from Doctor Stu and yours truly on Doctor Stu's podcast, where we cover everything from uh, home birth versus hospital birth, uh, the dangers associated with the procedure dangers associated with we go to other cultures and oh and we of, talk about things like that over um like the, the over regulation of life the you know i get off on my because those are passions for me um for instance i was just reading in the la times the other day uh that you know i'm brian do you randy you have a house now yes do you take care of your own yard do you have a, a uh, we have gardeners you have a gardener but have you ever decided, either one of you ever decided you wanted to plant like a tomato plant or? I have recently, it's so funny you said that, Dr. Stu. In the last two weeks, I have thought, uh, not a big one, but I've thought uh, to make, uh, you know, a nice size box that would be my garden that hopefully within it I could find all sorts of peace and happiness. You understand, though, right? You can't grow a pizza in a garden, right? Uh, is that true? Yeah, okay, but how about turkey and say cucumbers? No, those don't grow. Cucumbers you could grow. Okay, I want to do that, and and I want to sort of find the piece that has escaped me in other areas of life at forty two. I want to find it in my garden on a daily basis in the morning, Doctor Stu. Well, as absurd as it might be for Brian to probably grow pizza in his backyard, listen to this. Okay, this is from the L.A. Times uh, a week or so ago. Law, this is from the, uh, the real estate section. It says, Laws a law aids renters who want vegetable gardens. And there's a question to the person here, and he says, I rent a house in a homeowner's association and heard that I can grow vegetables in the backyard. Is this true? Now, like, you have to actually ask that question. Another question is, I rent a condo and have noticed several owners growing vegetables and herbs and planters in their front door, like you want to do, Randy. Yeah, well, I'm Brian. And well, Bal it, no, but it, it is their property, oh, Brian, and, yeah. and you do want to get the uh, affirmative from them before you start going off willy-nilly and uh, building gardens on their property. I got a couple no, of no, plants. No, 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 no. I'm just talking backyard. about. I'm talking about if you rent a condo and you want to have a no. planter no. on the on the balcony, and you instead of planting pansies in it, yeah. you want to plant carrots in it. It's no great. Did, did you know that you need to get? Uh, you know that there are there are ordinances and regulations that say that you cannot do that without permission from your landlord. I would think I, mean, I, I wouldn't think I'd have to do that. Right. This is what I'm saying. This is the absurdity. And by the way, the person that responds to this writes about a 400 page response. And his name is uh, Zachary Levine, partner at Wolk and Levine, a business and intellectual property law firm. Oh, I mean, gosh. the L.A. Times refers these questions to and I, and I'm not I'm not uh, ragging on Zachary. I'm ragging on the fact that we have a world now that if you want to grow vegetables in your backyard of a house you're renting that you have to get permission from your homeowners association or your landlord. Right. I mean, this is the absurdity to which micromanaging and overregulation have gone to. And the way, the why I get so on my horse about when women are denied simple choices of whether to birth at home or birth in the hospital or vaccinate their baby at this particular schedule or not vaccinate at all. I mean, these things I, it's like this is this is not what the founders of our country wanted to have. This is not the this is not what the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution dictated. Where you, 
The government's only purpose is to uh, ensure the God-given right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is great stuff. That's Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian Whitman, engineering and Oh, I'm and getting producer. cut off now, too. Well, we're out of time, God pal. darn it. Oh, please, you're throwing things at me. Don't throw things at me. This is Randy Wang, our producer, and uh, the guy's got a lot of uh, emotion. So join us next time. <laughs> if you want to email, ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. He reads every single email. He responds to most of, most of them, and some of them make their way on the podcast. Ask Stu at gmail.com. Keep checking drstewspodcast.com for the latest. Go to iTunes, register, and you'll be notified electronically when there's a brand new podcast. So do that. Do that. Register. iTunes. Dr. Stu's podcast. We thank you for joining us and uh, hope you don't miss a one. And if you're just joining us here at Podcast 72, go back uh, when time permits and listen to the dozens and dozens of programs. Yeah, we just recently reposted the Jim Gaffigan uh, podcast because we're running behind. So people want to get a good laugh. That's a good one. Podcast 29, I believe. Yeah, that's a great one, too. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein and Randy Wang, our original and best producer yet, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast. Podcast.